languages can be a dry subject. So here's your oasis in the desert. It's the podcast that will get you talking and thinking, or more likely drinking. The Lennon to his McCartney, the Bert to his Ernie. It's the one and only Mortgage Stew and his sidekick Martin at the LM Experience. Well, here we are again. Good afternoon. Oh, good morning, uh, Stu. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Martin. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. I think we're now up to episode 10 of the LM Experience. We've, we've crossed that threshold where we've now got more episodes than listeners. That's which true. I think is always an important part in any uh, in any podcast. Uh, anything interesting been happened to you since we uh, we last met up? Um, not a great deal, really. Kind no. of pre- preparation for GDPR. For That's what? been going GDPR. What's that? Yeah, I, <laughs> I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, but stuff like that, really, within the business. Um, a lot busier now with regards to purchases. Yeah. First-time buyers, especially. Mark, market's picking up a little bit after the early Easter, I think, isn't it? It is indeed. So we're in a peak at the moment. Good. No doubt there'll be a trough afterwards. Absolutely. But, um, well, long may that last. Anyway, look, um, Stu, we're, we're very lucky today because we've actually got, hot off, hot off the back of the Royal Wedding, we've got some mortgage royalty with us. Uh, a former regulator at the FCA. She was mortgage sector manager uh, and a lady who was the principal architect for the Mortgage Market Review and was at the helm when the Mortgage Credit Directive came in in 2016. Uh, she's also the lady who's the principal architect for most of our grey hairs. It's Linda Blackwell. Yo, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Linda. Stu doesn't have very many grey hairs. Well, he dyes it. That's why. <laughs> I'm not sponsored by that type of stuff. <laughs> Uh, Linda, we, we, we've been really keen to have you uh, on the podcast uh, since we started doing it, um, uh, because you know we're, we're, we're big believers in, in, in collaboration, and we'll always speak to other brokers, and we'll, we'll happily speak to lenders, um, and it's really good that we can have probably what was the top mortgage regulator of her time uh, in here yeah. talking today. Um, now, it's fair to say that you've, you've now moved on from from the FCA, um, and you've poacher turned gamekeeper or are you gamekeeper turned poacher now mm, that's an interesting question <laughs> you've got an interesting answer <laughs> so, you, so what you left you left the regulator in um october is that right that's right last october last and, october and since then i've been doing a bit of consultancy work and in january i was appointed a non-executive director of molo finance okay um which is a a very new venture for me molo is a fintech startup which is aiming to be the first fully digital direct to consumer mortgage lending platform in the UK. Okay. Um, and the attraction for me is just how fresh and customer centric it is because as a startup, you, st- you can start with a clean sheet of paper so and you don't have any of those legacy issues, which is dragging the market back a bit. Mm-hmm. What, what, what came first? The opportunity to work with Molo or you leaving the FCA? Or were they, were they hand in hand? Oh no, me leaving the FCA, yeah. I wasn't going anywhere when I left the FCA. Okay. I hadn't so, what was, so what was the idea then? Did you just get, I mean, give us a little bit of a potted history as to as to what maybe you did as a, a regulator and how you got into regulation. Because I think originally you were a solicitor. That's right, yeah, a solicitor um, in, league, in private practice. Then I went into the industry and then I joined the regulator. So basically I've seen it from all sorts of different angles. Um, at the regulator, I actually joined the F. SA, as it then was, as a company secretary of the PIA and the SFA, (laughs) and the deputy company secretary of the FSA. So basically I started just with my legal background, and then I I drafted the mortgage rules. I moved into the lawyer, the legal department, and uh, helped draft the original mortgage rules. And then because of my mortgage background, I then moved into policy. And then the crisis happened, 
Kind of all we were looking off. for someone to blame. We thought it was Rob Gilbert. <laughs> turns out it's Linda Blackwell. <laughs> so then that was that was really interesting because it, we had a bit of a drains up as to what on earth went wrong. Mm-hmm. That would have been um, interesting. I mean, what was that like being in in Canary Wharf in um, you know uh, October November two thousand eight when Halifax was on the verge of failing and and banks yeah. were collapsing and and we had uh, Lehman Brothers right. filing for bankruptcy. Interesting long lunches, I would imagine, going on there, wasn't there? It Down was the a pub, very probably. busy time actually. Yeah. Um, and you know all the people leaving Lehman's with the boxes that's mm. just across the road really from the FCA so it was a difficult time and not much fun really mm. um, because we we didn't know what was going to happen it looked as though we were on the verge of a complete meltdown but this is mm. the point isn't it because you're you know part of being a directly authorized firm you have to have contingency plans in place in case yeah. you know the building gets flooded yeah. but no one had a contingency plans for a global economic meltdown so no. you probably you didn't have a manual for that i guess no that was very new and that's why there was a complete change in the regulatory approach and why we today we've got the f PC, mm-hmm. as well as the PRA, Bank of England, and the, the conduct regulator beefed up um, to try and stop this sort of thing happening again in the future. Because mm. I think I think as well, it was, it was the onward impact, wasn't it? Into certainly from kind of our end, it was a case of the the differences that clients were experiencing. I had some clients back in that period of time where they were even um, they were getting funding at that time from one of the American backed lenders um, and they even exchanged contracts and at that point there was tranches of money coming in weekly um, from the US to, to get the completions through mm. at that point. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the big change of course was post-crisis all of the non-bank lenders who had grown so quickly in the mm-hmm. uh, UK just completely disappeared so they fell off a cliff mm-hmm. and those people were sort of left <laughs> and, Hang, and the lender, yeah because the lenders had uh, are just we, driven, drawn back. Do you th- are we protected enough now against um, a credit crunch too, if, if, if there was another well, way? Well, never say never, but I think the regulatory, especially with the FPC, I think, looking across the world and, you know, all the international stuff that's happening, I think that we're in a very different place today than we were then. Mm-hmm. Lessons have definitely been learned. Mm-hmm. You, I said in my introduction there, Linda, that you were the, uh, the architect of uh, MMR, which is the, the Mortgage Market Review. Um, We've got a question here from Leah, who's a journalist over at Mortgage Strategy, um, and she's asked, do you think the MMR legislation has made life harder or created more mortgage prisoners? So (coughs) I would say quite the reverse, Mm -hmm. actually, because the MMR specifically tried to make things better for mortgage prisoners through transitional arrangements that we put in place. And basically that allowed lenders to switch off the affordability rules for those borrowers who found themselves in that position. And the real problem, I think, is the fact that you had products readily available in the market, such as the heavily adverse credit impaired products, self-certified products, um, interest only with no capital repayments. Mm-hmm. High LTVs. Yeah. yeah. You know, you had all those products readily available pre-crisis, which just disappeared from the market post-crisis. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you've got those customers who can't go anywhere. So, so those transitional provisions were created in order to help borrowers finding themselves in that position, actually to get to remor- to, to be able to switch products mm-hmm. and take out a cheaper rate. So I don't think, I think it's whether lenders are actually prepared to to employ those transitional arrangements so the, the, or not is the issue. This is an interesting point, isn't it? Because uh, th- there are always some unintended consequences of any kind of regulation. And I think what a lot of people don't quite realise is that a lot of what you come out with uh, or used to come out with as, as a regulator was guidance points. Yeah. And then it's up to the lender to interpret 
what you say. Yeah. But, yeah well, but, the lender can't force the, the the regulator cannot force a lender to lend. It's up to the lender. Mm. And similarly, you know, there seems to be this general view that when you get to the end of your fixed deal, the lender should give you a, another deal. Actually, they don't need to. So it's a commercial decision for the lender to make. And the regulator can't force them to, to lend. Mm. So, so all that we can do is put transitional arrangements in place and say, here you are, lender, please help the people that you were very happy to give products to originally. Let, help them out. But ha- and it's... Th- how does, that, how does that fit with TCF? Because, you know, at some point they, they can make a commercial arrangement not to aid a client, but then is that are we not in breach of treating the customer fairly by not allowing them? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a commercial decision that the lender has to make because it's a contractual issue between the lender and the borrower. So right. they have signed up for a fixed deal. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to an end, it's then you're, you're relying on a lender doing the right thing by that borrower. Because I think as well that there has been background shifts, um, certainly in lender sentiment in different areas. I mean, going back to when I worked for lenders myself in the high street, it was a case of that if you had a borrower who came to the end of their interest-only term, for example, at that point, I used to work for C&G, and the the automatic route was available to extend the term for a further period of time. That was, of course, a few years back when a lot of endowments were maturing less than they were expected. But the the sentiment, it seems now from the lenders, is that they are getting a lot more harsher on maturing interest-only mortgages now. Um, And it, it seems that it kind of feeds in, for me, into an area where when, for example, lenders get given guidance by regulators I think with well, the key element for me is that they do tend to move like sheep and I felt certainly that during the MMR um, consultation period when we had all those changes that lenders did initially fairly knee-jerk reactions to the consultation about interest-only lending for example it was seismic the, the change in policy overnight and it wasn't anything that they were told to do obviously it was just yeah. the consultation was out there about changes had to be made and they drove the market themselves into changing policy on that. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest, and it shouldn't be a surprise, but one of the, the things that I've noticed most since I left the regulator and I've actually been working in the industry is the fact that um, there is a great fear of the regulator mm-hmm. and there is a, a real concern about um, supervisory action after the event. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever you're doing today, lender, supervisors may come later and it bites you mm-hmm. and I, I've been really surprised by that and I think once upon a time when we when it was the FSA they used to put out lots of guidance to, for the firm so once you'd done a thematic review you would put out into the market good and poor practice guides just to give the market an idea of you know maybe mm-hmm. where the line was mm-hmm. the FCA doesn't do that and <clears throat> I think that that's particularly helpful where you're a small firm and you don't have a big compliance function sitting beside you to try and help give you an idea of where you should go. Mm. Um, and I think probably the regulator could do a bit more about that. Yeah. You, you mentioned fear there, Lynn. Where's the fear coming from? Is it is it across the board? Is it from lenders? Is it from the larger uh, networks? Is well, it I've from certainly, I, I certainly see it with lenders. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, um, I think lenders are incredibly risk averse so, so the rules are in one place and their risk appetite is in a completely different place mm. and that that's quite a gulf between the two which actually I'm sure could come back a lot mm-hmm. and that means that there's a lot of people being access, being denied access to mortgages mm-hmm. when in fact they could get them 
Yeah. Particularly in the specialist areas where lots of lenders just don't want to go there. Um, and I think that there's scope to do a lot to help mm-hmm. very many more customers. Well, well, can we mention your personal recent situation regarding that, uh, Linda? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely question that was. Yeah. Um, so we, we saw you recently in, in, in some of the trade um, um, press talking about your own experience trying to, to get a mortgage. Um, uh, and can you just talk us through that? Obviously not enough specifics, but what was it, what, what, what was it like, the journey? What, what went wrong? And what, what do you think we can do to fix that? Well, a number of observations on that. The, the, the first thing is that really tells me why digital is going to take off in the UK because remortgaging, I mean, as a customer going through that for the first time actually in quite some time, it's such a heavily paper-based... Welcome to our world. Yeah. ...long process where you're relying, on, you're relying on other people. You are completely in the dark. You don't know what's going on. And I think it's absolutely right for change. And the, the digital, these digital lenders that are going to come into the market, such as Molo, I think they will really transform the customer experience, which is good news. Did you? So, sorry, did you use a broker? You used a broker. I originally. used a broker. Yeah, yeah because I, well, I, I had to use a broker mm. basically because my lender said no. Right. Um, because I was a self-employed mm. uh, consultant, I had only three months mm. working experience, right. and they wanted two years certified accounts so I could either wait or I could go and find myself a specialist who was prepared to to help me out and actually look at my circumstances. So with your regulator hat on would you have expected the lender to help you if you as a client? As a client, Based yes. Based on what you know I mean, from both sides of the fence. Yeah, I would. But the problem is that I also know as, as from my background that the big lenders take such a highly automated approach to lending these days so Mm -hmm. if you don't fit the sausage machine basically you're out so probably i wasn't surprised it's disappointing Mm. but frankly i wasn't really surprised i I think some respects that's like an overhang from the end of those boom years before the crash because certainly when i was working in high street lenders at the time we went from on a personal level having an underwriting mandate that we were actually in-house in every branch. There were like three people who could underwrite. Yeah. And those decisions stood based on our training. Then larger lenders, for example, who took over some of the smaller ones, certainly in my experience, brought in more automated decision-making systems purely to lend more. Yeah, It was the, scale. when they, the affordability calculations started to come in. And that was really the drive then, which I think took... To a certain extent, it wasn't regulation that took it away. It was the affordability calculations they were bringing in and taking less human interaction as part of the decision-making. I mean, there are underwriters out there who have always underwritten self-employed applications. Mm. You know, there are guys out there who do it and, and have always done it. And the only change is that lenders just don't do it today because yeah. it takes an underwriter More to time. look at it yeah. to look at it and really gauge whether it's a good bet or not yeah and uh, they're just not prepared to do that it's, it's costly for them to do it and they don't need to because they get their market share anyway that's it so, yeah. with the benefit of hindsight then linda would you would you go back and change anything in terms of the regulation no, through the MMR or... No, there's nothing... I mean, the MMR does not stipulate that you need to have a certain amount of... a certain year's number of mm. certified accounts. The, the MMR has left it to the lenders. And in fact, the lenders asked us, you know, during the consultation process, are pretty strong on that, that they wanted discretion to be able to decide for themselves. So we set the regulation... For that purpose, mm-hmm. but they're just not using it. They, they're just not doing it. It's a shame because uh, you know we're, we're living we're living in a changing demographic of employment. 
whereby Absolutely. more and more people are going freelance, more and more people are yeah. starting businesses, more people are self-employed and zero contracts. We need some kind of uh, innovation within the lending sector to yeah. accommodate what is a massive, massive market. I agree. I think, you know, when you think of the young people in the gig economy today, mm. uh, but, but even for older lending, you know, you need people to look at it and make an informed judgment. Hmm. Um, and I think the bigger banks are, are going to lose out unless they join the party. I, I think that's one area as well that I've always had a concern about it since the crash happened, is that I don't still feel that we've gone full circle yet on all of this, because hmm. I think a lot of the stuff that was going on prior to the crash, specifically thinking about some lenders out there that were doing fast-track lending, as they called it, where if it was even somebody was PAYE... If you could breathe, if, you got the if, money. Well, no, if they had 25% deposit, it was a case of that they could just self-declare their income. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a new client come to me in 2008 who had been with another broker two years prior. And even in 2008, I couldn't do anything for them because of the nature of how that that loan was arranged. And that was high street lenders doing that prior to the crash. And I think those types of clients aren't now, because of the low interest rates we've had ever since, haven't tested the water yet. I think that's right. I think we're in we're we're in that, and in fact, because it's deliberate, isn't it? We've got mm-hmm. very very low interest rates as a result of the mess that we got ourselves into. Yeah. Um, but the uh, I think that it's going to take a little while for all that poor lending to wash through the system. It mm-hmm. will wash through the system, um, and we got the results from UK Finance, didn't we, on interest only, which is another problem area. Mm-hmm. And it looks as though that is starting to wash through the system, and the picture is gradually getting a better picture. Mm-hmm. And it will be the same for those customers who yeah. find, find themselves not being able to get the products today. So I think as well, that's also where a lot of um, some high street lenders have changed their approach to the maturing interest only deals because they're not wanting them on the books anymore, so the pressure's been increased as a result. Yeah, to push although them I think off. The, the FCA recently brought out that retirement interest-only mortgage, and actually I think that is going to help a lot, mm-hmm. because it means that, if, provided that you can pay, of course, you've got to be able to pay the interest, yep. but provided you can, I think that's really helpful, because that's a, that's a possible solution for mm. people who find themselves not, not yeah. being able to repay. In the next podcast, we, we're going to have a lender in who, who has recently launched a specialist project for interest only for the older generation, so that, I think that's something that we can we can all learn uh, a yeah. lot more about mm. going forward. Um, uh, Linda, you mentioned uh, Molo um, and digital advice, um, so can you educate me a little bit about, about what that is? Because, you know, I'm a bit of a Luddite, and I'm still getting to grips with an etcher sketch so the, the thought of online robot advice I don't, I don't really understand what that is can you just sort of explain what what molo is trying to do and and, and maybe how you are unique in the marketplace so i mean there's lots of digital innovation in the marketplace today isn't there you've got the, the trussles the habitos the dynamos all the moles you actually <laughs> had to put an o at the end of your i'm gonna start uh, on call mr mole it should be uh, london money <laughs> Um, but the so there's lots of there's lots of innovation out there. But but where what Molo is doing is actually joining it all up. So it's actually end to end, and you should be able to get um, an approval in fifteen twenty minutes, and that's it, because it is completely digitalized. So so basically. You do all your know your customer staff like in seconds because mm. you're 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 using data. You know mm-hmm. it's it's smart. I mean honestly, it, it's beyond me as well, Martin. Mm. It's hard to keep up with all the changes that are happening. Uh, but you you get it will immediately know whether you can afford it. And of course, there's open banking APIs today that really help out with that. Are you are you getting are you getting signing from the lenders because you can have, you can have the greatest 
platform in the world, but if the end user, which in this case is probably going to be the lender, yeah. isn't isn't going to be on board with that, then you've just spent an awful lot of money and not got an awful yeah. lot back. I mean, you need you need them to plug into this as well, don't Absolutely, you? Absolutely, yeah, and, and those discussions are ongoing. Mm. So there, there's a lot of interest in doing exactly this. I mean, if you look across to the United States, it's astonishing. There's um, Quicken Loans there uh, who launched rocket a rocket mortgage and basically that is a fully digital online proposition and that has enabled quicken to become the number one lender in the united states mm-hmm. it's overtaken wells fargo and mm-hmm. so it's astonishing and they get customer satisfaction they win award after award for customer satisfaction so if you look at what's happening internationally the uk is really quite behind the curve so and there's what, what, a, it's really right for change. We had a question in from uh, from a, a, a broker up in uh, Yorkshire. I'm not going to give you his name. Um, we all know who he is. Um, his question was, and he, he, he's, he's a bit of a techie, um, in five years' time, what percentage of mortgage advice will be connected via robo-advisors? Do you have an opinion or a prediction? I think more people will go direct to a digital lender than uh, via a robo-advisor, because why do half the journey when you could do the complete package seamlessly? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's what's going to happen. I think there's still a role for physical brokers, and I think they will continue to play a role. Um, And I, I say that because if you look at the FCA's Financial Lives Survey, which came out last year, they actually said that only 29% of the UK population would be happy to get financial advice online and would want to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, That obviously varies by age group. Yeah, yes. But it's an indication that there's still a long way to go yet. Okay. I think the thing is, as well, the market generally seems to be segmenting itself anyway in terms of, I think generally now, certainly with the scope of how, and obviously following on from the crash and how MMR was implemented, not only by brokers, but also by lenders. The, the, the lender approach in the high street now is very much a case of yes you can see an advisor but you might have to wait a few weeks you might have to go to a yeah. different town to see them yeah. in some cases and I think that's where the broker market share has increased whilst that happened because of it um, but I think moving forwards I think it, part of it will segment off where you have the more tech savvy um borrowers and clients who will decide to go that yeah. route. And I think brokers, I mean it, you don't need to spend a fortune if you've got an internet and a computer, you can actually sit down with a client and actually go through these mm. these actually online processes and really help them understand it so, mm. you know, the broker is, a, is an important part to play in this and, yeah. they, and they don't need to be spending a fortune I think the thing is with it, I mean the, the only the only kind of um, fallback I have on, on the systems, because certainly from systems that I've identified already that are being adapted to fit the new world as we call it is in relation to more interaction with the client where the client can actually upload documents to the broker system for example and I think that's like a, a medium way of, of doing things I think the, the the kind of the scope and the danger I think where you've got direct uh, public to lender approaches in terms of applications unfortunately it's going to come down to honesty I think in some yeah. respects. Because but, but, but the API, if you've got open banking APIs, that's, where going to, that's going to transform absolutely everything mm. because you know you know <laughs> what, yeah. what the income and the expenditure and everything is because it's there mm-hmm. um, and it's very hard. I think one of the things about the digital process is actually the conduct risks are, are minimised mm-hmm. because you've got all of this information and it's hard-baked. It's a, it's a really... It's a, the, all the compliance... 
uh, and all the conduct risks are mitigated through a process that's hard baked into an automated system. <laughs> so all that, you know, uh, individual interaction that can sometimes impact on what a customer gets, that's, that, that goes. <laughs> you get a very consistent and fair approach across the board. So basically, it sounds like I've got to upgrade my Commodore 64. Is that what you're saying there? <laughs> I uh, if I Linda? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Linda, second charges. Okay. Uh, I've got a question here again uh, from a journalist. Um, you mentioned that the regulator has concerns about second charge markets. Uh, what do you think the biggest issues are in that sector? So I think the FCA has made clear its concerns through the Dear CEO letter that it published on its website. <clears throat> for, for me personally, I have a concern about the persistence of the old consumer credit master broker model um, and unnecessarily high fees Mm -hmm. uh, that persist in the market. And I think that is the biggest issue that is holding the market back. And it's really frustrating for those of us. And actually, I I include me in this, Mm -hmm. who wants to see it moving forward because it can be such a useful product. And I think that there's a legacy hanging hanging over it. It's a cultural legacy, isn't it? I agree. And I think nobody... If people would just step up to the plate and recognise that if it could just change... Who, it who has to step up to the plate? Who, because so, I've asked, sorry, I've, I've asked the regulator about this before. and I've, I've, I've had a meeting with them and we, uh, uh, this came up, this, this issue about um, why you know you might charge someone £500 to do a £50,000 first charge mortgage mm-hmm. and you know, someone's going to be charged £5,000 to do a £50,000 second charge mortgage when the work is effectively going to be very, very similar. Um, and they said, well, that's just it's a commercial issue. Mm. That, it was a bit of a dismissive, well, it's, that's not really our concern. So who needs to step up to the plate here? Is it the regulator? I think it's Is everybody. It a- I mean, I think the, the len- there are lenders, um, and you, you're better able to answer the question than, than I can, but there is a persistence in using master brokers. So there are very few lenders who allow a broker to go direct. Mm-hmm. You have to go through a master broker. So there's a bit of a stranglehold there. I think the lender should be doing more I agree. about the fees that those master brokers are then charging. Because mm. frankly, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that is impacting on the business that they, that lender is doing. Because if you add a fee to, um, you know, when a first charge broker is looking at what's the options available here, and you're looking at the difference between remortgaging a further advance and a second charge, that fee is going to make all the difference. And so mm-hmm. that second charge lender may not get that business. So why are they not doing something about it? Okay, it's a very, very good question, Linda, and I'm, I've been asking that question uh, for, for about two years, and I'm still waiting to get, to get a satisfactory answer on that. It is a very outdated model, in my opinion. Um, I think the closure of the market to the broker is probably one of the big indicators as to why we have to have some sort of change, because it wouldn't, the first charge broker wouldn't accept having to go through another broker, yeah. uh, you know, a broker's broker, to, to access mm-hmm. a mainstream lender. Yeah. And I think um, some lenders are out there without naming them, they do allow you to go direct, yeah, but it's absolutely. a handful. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there are definitely, so this isn't across the board, there are lenders out there who will allow you to go direct. And there are lots of brokers out there who have fixed flat fees. And, you know, it's not your variable percentage on the loan amount. Mm -hmm. Um, Customers really need to shop around, is my view. And there needs to be a lot more education about what the second charge market actually looks like. 
Well, I, I think we had a conversation before, actually, Linda, where you said as a regulator, you don't really differentiate between first charges and second charges. You just see it all as secure yeah, lending. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, the MCD is you, it sort of underlines this because in Europe you don't get a distinction between first and second mortgages. The reason you've got that distinction in the UK is that when mortgage, int- mortgage regulation was first introduced, the government only regulated the lending that was secured by a first mm. charge. So that that's that's history now. We've now got a first and second charge market. But frankly, I can't see any reason why we don't just have a, a secured Absolutely. mortgage market. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just on that point, actually, you mentioned Euro there. Here's a question for you, uh, Linda. Brexit next year, is that going to change anything, do you think, from a regulatory point of view? A lot of people who voted for Brexit just assumes that from the 1st of April 2019 we'll go back to the 1970s. So have you got an yeah, opinion well, as to what will change or we're all carrying us per normal? I think we're all, we're all in the same boat. We don't really know what's going to happen. I think the great, the, the great advantage for the mortgage market is that it's very domestic. And I think that is one of the best things. So, so unlike some of the other markets, like the bond market, and where it's really integrated with Europe, we have the great advantage that we're a domestic, largely a domestic market, and that makes a big difference. I mean, Brexit is huge. The amount of just bringing the legislation into the UK domestic regime is massive. So it's going to take a very, very long time for it all to sort out, even to... For, for uh, the regulator and the government to think about, so what do we do with all the European leg- legislation, mortgage legislation that's come into the UK? Mm-hmm. Do we keep it? Do we not keep it? Do we want some bits of it? That's a huge so, job to huge be done. Huge work in progress. I'm sure this will this will go in many different directions over the years, and and um, we'll probably still be talking about it in ten years' time, I would imagine. Um, well, I can't believe that thirty minutes has flown by uh, so quickly, mm-hmm. Linda. Thank you very no, much thank you. for your time. Is there anything you'd like thank to you. add before we go? Any no, more? thank you very much. No? For okay, well, thank you for your opinion and thank you for your regulation over <laughs> the previous you. 10 years. Thank you for the great that's, that's rare. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I'm a big fan. Listen, you, you talked about fear earlier about the regulator. I have no fear of the regulator. Oh, okay, great. I, that's good. I think more close collaborative harmony working between broker, lender, uh, regulator is only going to be a positive yeah, thing. I agree My with personal that. experience, having been into the FCA and had a, a talk with them, having met you a number of times now, I think uh, some of the nicest people in this industry actually come out of the regulator. Uh, I think you get, or you have had previously had some bad press, and I think that's been very, very unfair. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a very difficult job, you're probably under-resourced to a degree. Um, so look, I'm a big fan of regulation, I know a lot of good brokers that are big fans of regulations, and you know, thank you for getting the industry to where it is today, because it is in a much better shape than it was. Certainly years ago. Thank you. Thank you. Stu, there we go, at the end of episode 10. We are indeed. Perhaps we've got more more listeners now, you never know. You never know, it might be up to 11. <laughs> well, that's it. Uh, thanks for your time, uh, Stu, really enjoyed that one. That's going to be a really interesting uh, podcast. I'm sure that will get spread uh, far and wide across the industry. Yeah, indeed. And uh, please remember as well, you can always send your questions in to us through our Twitter feed, which is at the LM Experience. And uh, you can send us your questions there, which we'll hopefully fill in on a future podcast. Excellent. Brilliant. Linda, thank you for your time. Thank you, Stu. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And remember, there ain't no party like a highly regulated mortgage party, and your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or any other debt secured on it. Mm-hmm.